thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. Yeah, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll speak above and beyond what I say into the hearts of every person that's listening. And Lord, I pray that you'll give me discernment in my spirit as I'm speaking to know what to emphasise. Yeah, thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Well, just an observation that I've made that human beings are rather forgetful. And God knew this. So when, when he brought the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, one of the first things that he did before they even left Egypt, actually, was to institute the Passover supper, which would be a festival that the Israelites, the Jewish people, would celebrate every year from when they came out of Egypt. So the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. Life was terrible for them. They were enslaved by a pharaoh who used them to make bricks and many of their men and many of them would have been whipped. They would have lived a life of complete hell and they cried out to God to deliver them. And when God heard their cries and delivered them through his servant Moses, he did it by doing so many miracles in the nation of Egypt. And so the, the night of the night that they were going to come out of Egypt, God said to them, I want you to have this meal and I want you to do it every year. I want you to eat this meal. I want you to have your belt on. I want you to have your sandals on. And I want you to have your staff ready when you have this meal. And when your children ask you, what is this all about, this special meal? Why are we doing this? You can tell them, you can remind them that the Lord God delivered us from Pharaoh. The Lord God brought us out of slavery in Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. The Lord rescued us from Pharaoh. So every year they needed to have that Passover meal to remember what God had done. God was with the people of Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. He was with them when they arrived at the Red Sea and there was no way through. And as the Pharaoh's army was chasing after them, there was nowhere for them to go. The army behind them, the Red Sea in front of them, and God was with them when he parted the Red Sea and they walked through on dry land to the other side. And as the, as the Pharaoh's army came after them, they were drowned in the Red Sea. So the Lord was with them. The Lord was with them as they entered the Promised Land and as they began to conquer kings, the Lord was with them. When they, when they conquered Jericho, the Lord was with them. It wasn't by their own might or power that they conquered the city of Jericho. It was by the Lord's mighty hand and outstretched arm when he caused the walls of Jericho to collapse so that the Israelite army could just enter into the city. It was the Lord who was with them. The Lord did miracle after miracle for the people of Israel and he wanted them to remember what he had done for them. So fast forward to um, the days of King Saul. So now, and um, it's many years after that the after the Israelites have been rescued from Egypt, and they've got a king called Saul and a prophet called Samuel, and once again they're facing battle. So I'm just going to read one Samuel seventeen, and you can read along with me. I'm reading it from the New Living Translation. So you have to use your imagination and picture the scene, and remember who this remember who the story is talking about. 
talking about the people of Israel who were rescued from Egypt by the Lord's miraculous power. Same people. So the Philistines, they're, they're the enemy of Israel. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Sukkot in Judah and Azekar at Ephes Demin. Saul countered by gathering his troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite side, on opposite hills with a valley between them. So you imagine there's the Israelite army here, the Philistine army here, there's a valley between them and they're camped on hills facing each other. Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was a giant of a man, measuring over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and a coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. And he also wore bronze leggings and he slung a bronze javelin over his back. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. An armour bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a huge shield. Goliath stood and shouted across to the Israelites, Do you need a whole army to settle this? Choose someone to fight for you, and I will represent the Philistines. We will settle this dispute in single combat. If your man is able to kill me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel. Send me a man who will fight with me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now, I don't know how these men were raised or how they were educated, but I wonder if any of them had ever had a Passover meal with their family. I wonder if any of them had ever said to their father, Dad, why are you wearing your sandals and belt? Why are you holding your staff? What is this meal all about? And I wonder if, them, if any of them had ever heard the stories of how God had delivered the people of Israel from Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, of how God had performed miracles in the land of Pharaoh and caused Pharaoh to release them and then open the Red Sea before them so they could be delivered from Pharaoh's army. Well, if any of the men in the army had heard those stories, it seemed to me that they'd forgotten about the God that they served because when they heard Goliath threatening them and defying their army, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now, David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephratite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at the time and he had eight sons in all. Jesse had three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab and Shammah, and they had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest of Jesse's sons. And since David's three oldest brothers were in the army, they stayed with Saul's forces all the time. But David went back and forth between working for Saul and helping his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, twice a day, morning and evening, the Philistine giant strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, take this half bushel of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain and see how your brothers are getting along and bring me back a letter from them. 
David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts. He arrived at the outskirts of the camp just as the Israelite army were leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelites and the Philistine forces were facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he talked with them, he saw Goliath, the champion from Gath, come out from the Philistine ranks, shouting his challenge to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men were asking. He comes out each day to challenge Israel. And have you heard about the huge reward that the king has offered to anyone who kills him? The king will give him one of his daughters for a wife and his whole family will be exempt from paying taxes. David talked to some of the others standing there too to verify the report. What will a man get for killing this Philistine and putting an end to his abuse of Israel? He asked. And who is this pagan Philistine anyway, that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? David received the same reply as before. What you have been hearing is true. That is the reward for killing the giant. So, so far in this story, all we hear about the Israelite army is that they're terrified and deeply shaken and running away in fear. But now David comes and he speaks differently about the situation. David says, who is the pagan Philistine anyway? And why is he allowed to defy the armies of the living God? So where Goliath has been saying, I defy the army of Israel, David makes the point and remembers it's not just the army of Israel, it's not just any old army, it's the army of the living God. So if you, if I kind of picture the scene of um, the, the army, all the men as they were there together, and how they would have been speaking to each other and the things that they would have been saying. So for example, I'd say, Anthony, have you seen that giant? He's absolutely massive, he's a champion of all the Philistines. And Anthony would say to Paul and Judy, yeah, have you seen his, have you seen his shield? His armour bearer has to carry a shield. And have you seen his bronze javelin? It's as thick as a weaver's beam. Paul and Judy would be like, yeah, he's terribly frightening, absolutely terrifying. He's the champion. There's nothing we can do about it. And how, that, that must have been the atmosphere in the camp. And that must have been the way that people were talking to each other because every day, for 40 days and 40 nights, when Goliath came to challenge them, they were, pe they were petrified. Was there no one in that army? Was there no one in that camp who remembered who they were? Was there no voice that was going to rise up and say, hang on a minute, there's nothing for us to be afraid of? Up until this point, it doesn't appear that there was. Up until this point, it appears that the atmosphere in the Israelite army was an atmosphere of fear. And it appears that the perspective of the Israelite army was one of defeat. This Philistine giant is coming against us and we're terrified until David comes along with a different word, until David comes along with a different perspective, until David, with his mindset, enters into that situation and says, who is this pagan Philistine anyway? That he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God. 
So now I wonder if the atmosphere changes as David starts to speak that. I wonder if courage starts to rise up in some of these men. I wonder if some of these men begin to remember, we're the army of the living God. Don't you remember what God did to Jericho? We're the army of the living God. Don't you remember what God did to the Pharaoh's army? I wonder if anyone was able to come and stand alongside David and say, who is this pagan Philistine anyway? David's brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men and he got angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and dishonesty. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some of the others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. So even there in that moment, when David is coming across with a different dialogue, when David is speaking differently about the situation, who is this pagan Philistine? Straight away, his own brother tries to silence him. Sometimes the voice that wants to dampen out our courage and the voice that wants to discourage our truth comes from those that are closest to us. They might not mean it. It might not be done in a purposeful way. But David was trying to speak out the truth about the pagan Philistine. David was trying to remind people that they were the armies of the living God. And straight away, there's a voice there trying to silence him. And the voice accuses him, oh, you're full of pride. And the voice belittles him and intimidates him and, and speaks to him about what, he should, what he's supposed to be doing. Aren't you supposed to be looking after a few sheep? Who do you think you are? And now you're coming and speaking about Goliath. Go back to your sheep. Sometimes when we try and rise up and speak the truth, we can, be, we can be silenced by those closest to us who should know better themselves because I presume that David's brother had been to a Passover supper or two himself. But anyway, David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. Don't worry about a thing, David told Saul. I'll go and fight the Philistine. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way that you could go against this Philistine. You're only a boy and he has been in the army since he was a boy. So I, I really admire David. You know, I really admire his spirit. I really admire him turning up with cheese for his brother's captain and telling them, who is this pagan Philistine? Who is he trying to defy the armies of the living God? But his brother didn't admire him. His brother belittled him and told him to be quiet. And now the king is not recognising at all where David is coming from. The king is like, don't be ridiculous. But David persisted. Verse 34. David persisted. David persisted. There must have been something in David that was stronger than the intimidation that came against him from his brother and the complete lack of faith in him that Saul had, there must have been something stronger in David. David persisted. Maybe David at that point, when his brother put him down and embarrassed him and shamed him, maybe David could have crawled back into the background at that point. Definitely when the king told him, don't be ridiculous, you're a boy, and this man's been in the army since he was a boy. Definitely at that point, you would have a lot of sympathy for David for saying, 
yeah, do you know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm suffering with illusions of grandeur. Maybe I'm completely deluded. Yeah, never mind. Let me just give my cheese to the captain and I'll go back to my sheep. And there was something in David that persisted. He said, he said to Saul, well, I've been taking care of my father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I take the lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I've done this to lions and bears and I'll do it to the pagan Philistine too, because he has defied the armies of the living God. And the Lord who saved me from the claws of the lion and the bear will save me from the Philistine. Saul finally consented, all right, go ahead, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armour, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on and strapped the sword over it, and he took a step or two to see what it was like, because he'd never worn such things before. And he said, I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. So he took them off again. And he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. Then armed with only his shepherd's staff and his sling, he started across to fight Goliath. You have to try and imagine the, imagine the scene and imagine the atmosphere and imagine what was happening in the ranks of the Israelite army and the Philistine army and imagine what they were whispering to one another and what they were saying to each other after 40 days of Goliath coming and challenging the army, now someone is coming forward from the ranks to accept his challenge of single combat, one man against one man. So Goliath's there, and we, we've all, it's already been explained to us in the scripture what he's got. He's got a bronze helmet, he's got bronze leggings, he's got a bronze javelin, he's got an armour bearer carrying his shield. And then along comes David with five stones from a stream and a shepherd's bag and a shepherd's staff. And I just would love to know what I would be saying to the man who I was standing next to in the army. Like, what's going to happen? The anticipation, my heart would probably be racing. Like, oh no, we're done for. Oh, I can't believe it. Goliath's going to kill David and we're done for. Or maybe there would have been people there whose faith was stirred. Maybe there would have been people there who had been stirred by David saying, he's defying the armies of the living God. He was going to think, do you know what? David's going to do it. God's going to help him. I don't know. But anyway, Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at the ruddy faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David. Did you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. David shouted in reply. You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and I will cut off your head and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. 
and everyone will know that the Lord does not need weapons to rescue his people. It is his battle, not ours, and the Lord will give you to us. As Goliath moves closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him and reaching into his shepherd's bag, taking out a stone, he held it from his sling and it hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face downward to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine giant with only a stone and a sling. And since he had no sword, he ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath and David used it to kill the giant and to cut off his head. Now the scripture says there that David triumphed over the Philistine giant with a sword, with a stone and a sling. But I don't think it was the stone and the sling that killed the Philistine giant. I think it was David's faith in God. I think it was his, I think it was his utter, his utter belief that it was the Lord's battle. I think it was his anger and his boldness at anyone who would dare to defy the armies of the living God. I think it was those things that David knew in his mind that enabled him to conquer the Philistine giant. So let me ask you about your mindset. Let me ask you about the battles that you're facing, about the things that are causing you fear, about the things that you're terrified of, about the things that you're afraid of, about the situations that are coming at you and threatening you and cursing you. What mindset do you have when you come against them? Because if you have a mindset that, oh, well, I've only got five smooth stones and a shepherd's staff and I've only got, I've only got nothing. If you forget that you're a Christian, if you forget that you're a follower of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, if you forget that you serve the one true living God, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, then every battle that you face is going to feel difficult, if not impossible. But if we have the correct perspective, if we remember who we are, if we remember that the battle is the Lord's, then fear cannot have a hold on our lives. If we remember that the battle is the Lord, then we can, we can face everything with boldness and courage, just like David did. When, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, this is verse 51 now, the Israelites gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road from Sharaim as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. David took Goliath's head to Jerusalem and he stored the Philistines' armour in his own tent. As Saul watched David go out to fight Goliath, he asked Abner, the general of his army, Abner, whose son is he? I really don't know, Abner said. We'll find out, the king told him. And after David had killed Goliath, Abner brought him to Saul with the Philistines' head still in his hand. Tell me about your father, my boy, Saul said. And David replied, his name is Jesse and we live in Bethlehem. So just a few things to think about and to reflect about. In that chapter, there was only one person who remembered who they were. And we need to remember who we are, church. We need to remember who we are. And the thing about David is that he was focused, 
entirely on God and not on Goliath. The Israelite army had become totally focused on Goliath. For 40 days, he had taunted them, and that was what their focus was on, the Philistine champion from Gath. Their focus was on the armour that he carried and the threats that he made. Their focus was entirely on him. And through having their focus on him, they had opened the door to fear, and fear had flooded into the army camp. Fear had flooded into every soldier, every Israelite soldier, the king and their whole camp because they had been focusing on Goliath. But David didn't focus on Goliath. When he arrived and saw what they had been seeing, it was like he didn't even, it's like it didn't even register what Goliath was saying. David said, who is this pagan Philistine? He's defying the armies of the living God. He knew immediately in his spirit, in his mind, he knew that that pagan Philistine was a pagan Philistine. They were the armies of the living God, the armies of the living God. He was focused on God and not Goliath. So of all the things at the moment that we could be focused on, so if you watch the news for five minutes, you know what you'll be focused on. You'll be focused on our rates and um, statistics and the latest death count. Five minutes of watching the news and that's what your focus will be on. But our focus shouldn't be on that. Our focus should be on the living God who we serve. The other thing about David is that he had a history with God and he remembered his history with God and he told Saul about it. When Saul told him, don't be ridiculous, you can't go and fight that giant. David remembered his history with God. When David was on his own out in the field, guiding his father's sheep, if a lion or a bear came and took a lamb, he would he would he would kill the lion or the bear. And he and he said to Saul, It's the Lord who saved me from the claws of the lion and the bear, and the Lord will save me from this Philistine. So David gave credit to God for the victories that he'd had in his life. And because of his history with God, he was able to kind of weigh it up in his mind and think, well, the Lord has saved me from this and the Lord has saved me from that. So the Lord will save me again. This is no different. The other thing about David is that he had great boldness. I really admire his boldness so much, especially because his brother was telling him to shut up and be quiet. His brother was embarrassing him and telling him to go away. Saul was telling him to not be ridiculous and there's no way that he could do what he wanted to do. And then Goliath, when Goliath came towards him, he was cursing him. He was he was saying to him, are you, are you, am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? And he said to him, I'll give your flesh to the birds. How frightening. But David had like some boldness on him. And he knew that he could do what God had called him to do. And he reminded himself, he came, when Goliath said to him, I'll feed your flesh to the wild animals and to the birds, David reminded himself of all the truth that he knew. And he said, the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel and everyone will know that the Lord doesn't need weapons to rescue his people. It's his battle. And maybe David remembered that because of when the Israelites had crossed the Red Sea without weapons and when the Jericho walls had come tumbling down and the Israelites hadn't had to do anything. Maybe he remembered those things and he remembered those stories and he was able to say with confidence and conviction, the Lord doesn't need we weapons to rescue his people. It's his battle not ours, and the Lord will give you to us. 
So all through all through the scriptures, the Lord is encouraging his people to remember who he is. And a lot of the Psalms are talking about reminding it's David reminding himself who the Lord is. And Psalm 136, it doesn't say whether this is written by David or not, but the whole psalm is saying, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his faithful love endures forever. And then it goes through all the different things that the Lord has done. And it says, give thanks to the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. It's like reminding yourself constantly, having the correct mindset. And then all through the New Testament, we learn when we read it, who we are. So when we give our lives to Jesus, when we become Christians, we learn who we are by reading the pages of the New Testament. And um, just a few scriptures that I've picked out, just to like, so these are just some of the things. If you're giving your life to Jesus, this is this is who you are. So Jesus said to his disciples, anyone who believes and is baptised will be saved. Anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany you who believe. You will cast out demons. You will speak in new languages and you'll be able to handle snakes with safety. And if you drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt you. You'll be able to place your hands on the sick and heal them. That's what Jesus says about us. And then he said to his disciples in Luke 10, I saw Satan falling from heaven as a flash of lightning. And I've given you authority over the power of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because the evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered as citizens of heaven. Your name is registered as a citizen of heaven. Your life is in God's hands. The days of your life are in God's hands. The day of your death is already appointed. It's already written. So there's nothing to be afraid. Your life, afraid of, but your life is in God's hands. So we can live our life here on earth as the light of the world and the salt of the earth without any fear being who Jesus has created us to be. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. We're masterpieces. Every single one of us is a masterpiece. That's who we are. And sometimes we can forget, but I just want to remind you this morning, um, Ephesians 1, verse 3 to 5, it says, How we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we belong to Christ. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family, bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave us great pleasure. That's our position this morning. That's who we are. Um, and what about who Jesus is? I mean, when you start thinking about who Jesus is and start meditating on who Jesus is, all fear has to dissolve, surely. Um, Jesus said, um, I've told in John 16, 33, Jesus says, I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Um, in Colossians 1, it, this explains about who Jesus is. This is, a, this is the most beautiful, eloquent piece of writing about who Jesus is. So this is in Colossians 1. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before God made anything at all and he is supreme over all creation. Christ is the one through whom God created everything in heaven and earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Kings, kingdoms, rulers and authorities, everything has been created through him and for him. 
He existed before everything else began and he holds all creation together. Christ is the head of the church, which is his body, and he is the first of all who will rise from the dead, so he is the first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and by him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of his blood on the cross. This includes you, who was once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, yet now he has brought you back as his friend. We need to meditate on these things. We need to remember these things so that when we face a battle, we have more of a David mindset and less of a, um Israelite army mindset. When the Goliath comes and taunts us and tells us that he's going to feed our flesh to the birds or whatever it is that we're being taunted with, May our minds be renewed with the truth of who we are in Jesus.